Hey everybody, you're listening to Big Things with Zach Miko, and on today's episode, I sit down with model and entrepreneur, Clementine Dassault. Now sit back, relax, and listen to the theme song. And welcome to Big Things with Zach Miko. As always, I am your host, everybody, Zach Miko. I hope everyone's having a good time. Happy March. I know I said happy March a bunch, but happy St. Patrick's Day. Guys, that was yesterday. I mean, for me, it's tomorrow because I'm recording this on Saturday. But for you, it was yesterday. I hope it was fruitful. I hope it was lovely. I hope you had fun. I hope everybody's safe. I hope you didn't drink any green beer. Green beer's terrible. It's a terrible idea. Do not drink green beer. As I say this, I made, or am going to make, green French onion dip. So I'm just as much of the bad guy here. But there's too much good beer out there for you to drink green stuff. So don't drink any green stuff. We have such a good episode for you guys today. I've been trying to get her on for a long time. But we have model and entrepreneur and activist, and founder of the All Woman Project, Clementine Dassault, everybody. Uh, we've been friends for a while. She actually got me one of like my first international... I think my first French job was from her. Uh, we both worked for, for Castelluna together. She's an amazing, amazing person. Uh, we sat down. We've been friends for a while. We had a talk about life and about you know how she got her start and modeling and what it was like growing up not knowing how to eat <laughs> you know all the all the fun stuff um but it was really an inspiring talk she's an absolutely incredible woman so i'm not going to blab about it too long i mean what's the point of doing an extended intro when everyone wants to get to the good stuff so without further ado my interview with clementine de Ladies and gentlemen, I am sitting here with model, entrepreneur, founder of the All Women Project, Clementine Dussault, everybody. Yay! Yay! How Clem are you? in the house. Uh, I'm good. I'm good. We Chilling. Were we were just talking. Um, I have a good friend when we were in Montreal who prides himself on being able to pronounce things in their native language, uh, but we ordered a... <laughs> A dish of poutine, and he called it pouton, which I just <laughs> learned means something very different. Yep. No bueno. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny to me. That's funny, though. Yeah. yeah. He, he, was, he was really, he, he, he was very proud of himself. Well, you're really lucky uh, Canadian, like French Canadian, that really, you know, funner and more open-minded than actual French people. So yeah. they probably didn't take it the wrong way. But in France, they probably would have insulted you back. Oh, good. <laughs> Not only that, it's like everyone in Montreal spoke English, so they were like, sir, do you mean, <laughs> like, it was, oh my God, and that's him. But anyway, on to you. How are you? <laughs> you know, good. Just self-care Sunday. 
Um, little Pilates this morning, this afternoon, little food. Awesome. Just chilling. You should take my wife's class one day. Oh. She does Legree, which is like super Pilates is a good what? way to put it. But it's I didn't the same. know she was doing Pilates. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's called Legree. I don't know how close it is to Pilates, okay. but it's on a former this, or reformer, okay. whatever you call yeah, it the yeah. same way. Super cool. And it's only in Astoria. So you, oh, that's really cool. It's exactly. really close. You'll yeah, I'd love to, to actually. Put me in touch with her. I'd love oh, to yeah. go. No, absolutely. I will. Yeah. Uh, so let's start from the very beginning. Yes. Where are you from originally, <laughs> Clementine? <laughs> I was born in Toulouse, France. Okay. So and that's in, in the Fran- southwest. Okay, cool. Like close to Spain. Oh, okay. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And um, I have... 30 years ago. Typical... Um, American grasp on European geography where okay. I could point on a map where the country is and that's it. Well, that's good. And that's probably better <laughs> than most American, actually. I know. Like I heard people telling me that Europe was a country before. So, oh, really? You know, oh, and, and geography is not American strong suit. <laughs> they, we don't know our own geography. I, when, I mean, it's big. When I was on tour once, I tried to I, I used to do theater and we tried to cash our check at a Walmart because that's all there is in mm-hmm. some areas of the country. And they wouldn't cash my paycheck because they didn't believe at the time my ID was from Connecticut and they wouldn't believe that Connecticut was a state. They were that's <laughs> random. It was really weird. She just would not believe that Connecticut was we were in Mississippi, I believe. And she's like, I need a valid state ID. And I said, here you go. And she goes, no, sir, I need an ID from your state. And I said, it's Connecticut. It is a state. She (laughs) goes, no, I need a valid state. I'm like, it's Connecticut. It's right next to New York. She goes, so is it part of New York? Oh, my God. Stop it. I was like, nope, it is its own. It's its own. It's one of the original. Actually, it's one of the first states. That is interesting. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, see, we don't have this problem in France because it's so small. I mean, we do have about, I don't know, many departments, maybe like. 30 is a department which you guys call like counties or states kind of it's kind of similar it's like small actually i think we have 31 yeah okay uh i don't know hey listen you're fine but it's small it's small (laughs) you've been here long enough yeah right to remember exactly (laughs) i barely remember my french my family always makes fun of me when i go home they call me the american oh no because like i speak for english and like i forget french words so i say it in english and they look at me like i'm stupid (laughs) (laughs) I've been here eight years, so you know. I know, and, and, and a little bit, and, and there's you get very probably little French practice in New York. There's always go to a couple yeah. of restaurants; they'll talk to you for a little bit. But other than that, yeah, I mean, most French restaurants are owned by Russians, so nobody really speaks French. Really? Yeah, I noticed a few restaurants I've been, and I'm hoping to speak French. And the server, the cook, everybody's Russian. I'm like, what is this? That is so interesting. That's actually a good point. I didn't realize that. I feel like Russians in general are very much in the food industry here mm. because when I before I was modeling, I was managing a bar, and I think. Out of my eight waitresses, five or six of them were Russian. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it was very interesting. For sure. You didn't even know. No. Who knows? Um, how long? So, are, so your family's still over mm-hmm. in France? Yeah, yeah, I'm the only one here. Oh, okay. Um, how long? Did you, I don't know. I I know nothing about growing up in French life. Like as an American, we imagine (sighs) that you're just sipping wine at five years old and smoking (laughs) cigarettes already. That's kind of true. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I I actually had my first bottle of wine when I was two years old. Get out. Uh, My uncle wrote my name on it. And so every time I was going to see my uncle, uh, that was my bottle. So it was on the table and I had like, they would like let me hold it and like pretend like I was drinking out of the bottle. Oh my God. But I would really just get like barely a taste of it but just like 
Yeah, so you you get really introduced early to to, totally. to alcohol and wine, especially. It's just because I feel like like living here, I understand that here, like alcohol is very much to get fucked up, and in France, it's very much part of the culture, and like Definitely. we do start really really early, but like we would just like taste it with a little bit of water, and we would just kind of like get educated on what like what is white, what is rosé, what is red, with different type of reds and oh, whites. I wish we had that. I think and it's because um, in the U.S. it's so restrictive until mm-hmm. you're of age oh, yeah. that because of that as soon 100%. as everyone starts drinking it's to get wasted exactly right away. i totally i totally see that like when i moved here i was 22 mm-hmm. so i was you know barely drinking age um but like all the friends that i was making like i had just started to really drinks and every time and every, every time we were going out they were all getting wasted and like to me those years are far behind like we start going to the club and going to the bars and getting drunk at like 15 14 yeah. 15 so like by 19 i was so over it like oh yeah i was like i didn't want to go out anymore i had being drunk as much as i could like i was over but that's it. also what happens like at least for me i know i went so heavy and so hard when i was able mm-hmm. to start drinking that i burnt out in a couple of years by the time yeah. i was like 23 mm-hmm. i was like i am so done yeah. doing this all the time yeah it's definitely a different culture but we do um drink early but we also do i mean everything quite early um we just learn about food as well yeah. like we have this culture of food um good food and we go to the market we smell things we know like what each vegetable is because yeah. like that's also something i noticed living here most people don't really know what an eggplant look like or things what do you like call that in, is aubergine aubergine, is aubergine? Mm-hmm. okay that's and, my and you know so that. that's funny like you know growing up here like most people have never seen like what a full vegetable actually looks like. Yeah. It's a little foreign. And so that's something we do learn really early. And so I got into food like, you know, when I was really young um, and I'm obsessed with food. So that's definitely part of my French. I culture. wish we had that. We, we know meat very well. When we're yeah. Young, but that's really you know your it. steaks. Exactly. Well, I'll know <laughs> America. Yeah, we know yeah. our cuts of steak that's true. way before. But I grew up. I mean, we had potatoes and corn with every single meal. That was our I vegetable. Because we had potatoes and corn. Yeah, that's not vegetables. But no, I love it. <laughs> And every now and then we'd have like an iceberg lettuce salad mm. and we'd just be like, <laughs> and we thought we were so, and uh, I mean, I remember, I think I was in college the first time I had an avocado. Oh, I had never wow. had guacamole. I'd never had an avocado. Mm. And it wasn't until like I was in college that I like yeah. started learning how many more vegetables there are. Yeah. There's so many. To me, salad, <laughs> salad came with lettuce, cucumber, tomato end of list that's, like, it. that's all it came <laughs> and if you went to some restaurants they'd put like grated cheese on mm-hmm. top of it mm, yeah. the best oh man yeah yeah i love food i've been i started cooking really early when i was like 10 because my mom was gone a lot um mm-hmm. for work and what did so your mom do? Um, uh, she used to be a sales rep um pharmaceutical industry okay and she's retired now but um so she was gone you know to paris sometimes and oh, yeah. i was just like overnight on my own for one night or so and so I had to start cooking and, you know, mostly frozen stuff at first because she used to shop. She was a single mother as well. So she used to shop a lot um, frozen stuff for me to just like throw in the pan and heat up and totally. eat it. But then I got a little curious, you know, like I tried to like try new stuff and make my own sauces and make my own like saute things like from scratch. And so that's kind of how it started. Um that's also how I started having like eating disorder because I started to eat way too much and 
you know anything and everything when i was alone so it kind of just like started there as well, well. yeah i mean you kind of when you're by yourself like kind of just bored and you know totally not really controlling my emotions and things and so i kind of like jumped into food like, i think so yeah also. no i was the same <laughs> i was very much an emotional eater when mm-hmm. i was young and for me though it wasn't <laughs> i couldn't cook mm. at the time i learned to cook um like when i was like 14 or 15 but i really started like emotional eating when i was like 12 mm-hmm. so it was just the junkiest junk food you can ever imagine everything that comes in a pack and then <laughs> even when i did learn to cook i learned how to cook in the boy scouts mm. so I was a pretty good cook, but I only knew how to cook for like 10 people at a time. Oh, I, yeah. cu- I couldn't cook <laughs> just for myself. That's so cool. So then you had to eat it all. <laughs> that's the right? thing. Well, that, and that's the problem. So that's what I do is I'd make like a chili or something and, but I'd make like a gallon of it and yeah. I'd be the only like, and I'd give it to like, you know, my siblings and my parents, but there was still too much food yeah, and yeah, I would yeah. always let it. And I also grew up not liking leftovers. So because I, d- I don't know why. I didn't like leftovers. Interesting. So what I would do is I would eat it all. I would <laughs> just because I knew I if I if I put it away, like if I put leftovers in the fridge, that I was never going to eat, eat it. them. So I was like, let me just eat everything. Interesting. Right now. You're like a fresh eater. Yeah, you exactly. Eat fresh. I don't like that. See, there's some stuff are way better leftover though. So like one of my favorite dishes, ratatouille. And so when you make ratatouille, like it's good on the day, but really it's way better the next day, cold or just heat it up slightly. Now what? Okay, this is gonna be oh. dumb American. To us, ratatouille is a movie, and <laughs> I know that, but I also know what it is. It's a, it's essentially I know it's sliced like it's vegetables. It's just mixed vegetables yeah. essentially. Yeah, so easy, but it's really depending. Like everybody has their own recipe. Um, like Italians put potato in it, French do not. Ah, uh, this is not a thing. So it's like um, squash. So it's it's very um, specific, like from the south of France. So okay. it's like we call it like summer vegetables. Okay. So it's aubergine, so eggplant, yep. uh, zucchinis, okay. yellow and green, uh, red peppers, tomatoes. Some people put like closer to Spain, they put like olives in it. Ooh. And then it's really like what herbs and spices you put on it that makes it. So, like, my mix is, like, thyme, rosemary, basil, garlic, uh. um, onions, um, and then really, like, any fucking herbs you can find. Like, the more herbs, the better. That's and so great that you grew up yeah. with, like, that appreciation for herbs. Like, I, I feel herbs. like the, the food revolution, I feel like, in the U.S., started around the time you came here like mm. when like yeah, probably yeah, like yeah. like eight ten years ago is when mm-hmm. we started like cooking for real yeah. like when i grew up our spices were all spice mixes we had um emerald lagasse uh he was a tv chef and he was a cajun chef so he came out with just like this mix of different mm-hmm. spice blends and that's all you used he had his lemon pepper blend he had his Cajun kick it up a notch yeah. thing and he had like his meat and fish thing. And so we had no idea what was in them. We just, th- that was us cooking. Sprinkle it. Just sprinkle it on and we were done. <laughs> Other than that, we just knew salt and pepper. Oh no, I love herbs. And like one of my favorite memories is um, when I was going, I spent all my summers at my grandmother's house in mm-hmm. the south of France. And um, she was, uh, my whole like dad's side of my family was born and raised in Morocco. Mm-hmm. Um, so when they moved back to France, they kept on, you know, keeping like their Moroccan food tradition. So like couscous, tagines, minty. Mm-hmm. And so minty was a big thing for me. Because, what is minty? Well, it's it's just um, black tea with fresh mint. Oh, mint tea. Yeah. And a Jesus, shit ton of sorry. sugar. <laughs> so I was in charge of getting the mint in the garden. 
so that uh-huh. was my one of my first like herb memory like she would always send me get the mint and so i would cut it and like smell it and just like the smell of fresh mint is just like one of my favorite smell ever we had a mint bush Love in it. our backyard too oh. when in our in like our old house our neighbor had a small garden which he grew like you know beans and carrots mm-hmm. and stuff um and he had a mint bush but we never thought it was for eating so we would just get the mint as kids and we never ever ate it. We would like just like rub it on our wrists and like oh, run funny. it on our nose and just smell it because uh, we just we had no idea that you could yeah. eat it. Yeah. I mean, I guess if you never was introduced to it, you have no reason to think you can. Yeah. Uh but yeah, for us it was like in the in the tea and then when I grew up I started putting it in like uh salads and mm. just like cooked dish and it just it's great everywhere. Like I'm obsessed with fresh mint. That's my next uh, goal this summer is I want to do a little, just a tiny herb garden. garden. Oh, I would love that. But I need to buy one that's like already started. Where it's already. Yeah, yeah. So you don't have to go through like the whole like really annoying phase of like just like getting the first. Exactly, one where it's already sprouted and Mm -hmm. I just gotta keep it alive. Yeah, I think I want to do that on my balcony as soon as it stops raining and freezing. You shall. Oh my God, I know. (laughs) A tiny little little garden. It's a little bit of a gross day today mm, it's terrible it's all right <laughs> we're almost out of winter i think we have like not that much longer before spring like 12 no, days yeah, yeah. something like we're that i have have the way halfway there oh almost almost so when you were in france how does the how does school work like in here we have you know like elementary school middle school high school is there uh same is thing it broken up yeah uh, i think the, the amount of years in each is slightly different okay uh but we have we have five years in elementary school okay then we have we have four years in middle school and then we have three years of high school Oh, only yeah. three years. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. And then we go to college. Yeah. So until 18 years old, we're in the system until end of high school. And then we go to college starting 18, 19. So su- super so like yeah. similar to yeah, what we did. Quite similar. Now, so when did when did you start modeling? Well, did you Were you interested in it while you were in high school? Um, yeah, it started, my interest starting to grow like over the years just because like people were always telling me, oh, you're so pretty. It's too bad you're fat or things like Jesus that, which is so lovely, Christ. right? I know. Um, but, you know, it kind of like put something in my head like, oh, I'm actually pretty. Uh, you know, why not? Like. And so I started being interested in like photography and like expression and just image in general. Um, and then when I was probably like second to last year of high school, like maybe 17 or something, mm-hmm. 16, 17, um, this agency opened in one of the main city in France and um, I found them and they said that they represent any size. Okay. Which was never heard of in France, especially. When, what the, when was this? When? Uh, I was, well, it was a long time ago since I was 16, uh, so I'm 30. Uh, that was so like uh, 15 years ago. Okay, yeah. so like 2003. Isn't that crazy like that. to say like it 2003 feels like it's and forever. four? And that's like 15 years that's ago? That's crazy. I found a band t-shirt the other day from a concert I went to, and it was 2004. And I was just like, oh, it wasn't too long. And I was like, that was 15 years ago I that's, saw that show. Yeah, we ain't, we ain't too young no more. I don't know. So, sad. yeah, that's kind of how it started. And so I signed with this agency. I went down to the city with my mom to sign with them. But end of the story, they closed three months later, so nothing ever happened. But they still had time to have me do a test, my first test ever. Okay. So I was 17, and it was fun. And I found a photo of it, like, not a long time ago. And it was so cool, and I think they looked so good. <laughs> and so I was so excited. I sent it to whole 
my family and everybody was like oh my god you're so pretty la 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 and that kind of stopped there uh because after the first like oh they closed after three months i was like whatever that was a mistake yeah um and uh, i think my next experience was right when i moved to lyon which is another big city where my dad lives okay uh, for college it was my first year of business school and uh what college were you going to uh it's called idrac it's okay. a business school in lyon uh it's like a five-year master's program nice and uh, that was cool and then uh the first year i had my first internship so i had to go to paris for it Okay. So I rent an apartment in Paris with a friend and, you know, went through my first internship. And then um, I met with a new model agency as well that had just opened um, that still exists today. So those were quite successful. And it was the first time they represent plus size. So they signed me right away when we met. And um, I started doing a couple job like over the summer, or, like when it, whenever I was in Paris, you yeah. know, I would let them know. And they would try and book me some stuff. So I, I did maybe a couple like we have like two or three brands that do plus size in France. So it was never much it was work. Not a lot, yeah. But it was like, you know, I was in one or two catalog and it was like so big for me. I was like, oh my God, that's so fun. You oh, know? especially catalogs. The first time you see yourself in print is very yeah, surreal. It's very, it's very surreal. Yeah. And so I remember getting excited, but like I never, ever, ever thought in a million years that it would be a career. For me, it was just like a fun, you know side thing to do that's kind of glamorous and yeah. kind of helped me like feel better about myself some ways um so i really liked it but i never ever thought like i was going to like i was doing an international marketing masters so i wanted to be in the office like Jeez. be a boss bitch and yeah. just like you know i never thought i would be a model but i love the idea um so i kind of just went on like this for five years until i graduated uh -huh. um and right when i graduated i was casted for this tv commercial that was uh the first multi-brand for plus size store that was opening in france online and it was called castelluna and oh, um, get out. you know that yes mm -hmm. i do that know i know i know <laughs> and so that was way that's back the, i was gonna say that was the i think that's the one time you and i got a chance to yeah, work together was exactly that's and so, fun. so i was the first model they ever hired and so i was over their website but most importantly i was in their first tv commercial which was also the first time a plus size model or fat girl was ever on tv in france so that was kind of like a big thing yeah um and you like it kind of like moved the whole fashion world back then because like you know a lot of women like were like just so happy like life-changing experience to see someone that looked like them on tv absolutely but then half the country was just disgusted mad and angry and grossed out um seeing like a french woman on tv that is not typically parisian skinny and tall um wearing a beret and so and it, was, it was tough <laughs> yeah. and i was so half naked like i was just wearing a bodysuit that's about it and was dancing too so like it was oh, so big they... time uh so yeah anyway that was a that was a good like my first let's say like public like thing like that being, went out and yeah. you know your being recognized and, yeah. and so i moved to america three months after that came out so i was pretty much you know in miami already when the whole like wave of criticism and love and everything came out so i think that was a good thing the whole yin yang of experience it would have kind of slapped me in the face a little more if i was still there i, I think. feel like that yeah i mean that that's the, i mean that's been the story of the plus industry mm -hmm. from the beginning is wild acceptance and people being incredibly grateful and mm -hmm. relieved yeah. and then the other half people yeah. being so just awful hateful. about it. 
super yeah. hateful. Mm-hmm. Like super like I, I you know, I experienced the same thing when I like when I started being known for it. It was the same thing. I, it was like between people being so psyched about it and so wild for it. And then other people telling me that I was destroying what it meant to be a man and like just all just crazy glorifying obesity and then I'm disgusting and I'm going to die of diabetes and stuff like it's people, people get are wild. It's nuts. It is so nuts how crazy people yeah, get. It's so insane. Like, but it was also the first time I got to experience like, like the change that you can actually make by just being out there. Totally. Um, and I never have thought of that before, um, of just like being yourself and being out there publicly could actually change other women's life. Yeah. I never thought of it. And like, that's the first time I felt it. And I think that's kind of like, just like turned my whole life around because once you felt that, then it's really hard to go back and not do anything for them anymore. So like, yeah. I just kind of like, that's the first time I said, Hey, like maybe this is a career and maybe I can actually make good in this world. Like not just being pretty and getting paid for it, but also yeah. do something that matters. Well, that's something that I've noticed about um, like just plus models in general is the fact that there's more of a responsibility behind there. It's mm-hmm. not just selling clothes. It's not exactly. just looking. It's like we're, it, it's kind of like the start, especially in the beginning, because even though, you know, now you've been doing it for, you know, since you were 16 years old, it's still a very early industry mm-hmm. and a very new industry. So it's kind of like you're doing it and you're putting yourself out there and you're going forward. So it's not shocking the next time it happens. And it's like you're taking on the burden of yeah. breaking down the doors it's true like it yeah curvy models have way more responsibility on their shoulders yeah and it's whether it. they like it or not too because i know yeah you don't have a choice in exactly. the matter it's like no no, no you no. don't really have a choice like you're, if you're representing plus, people you have to represent and you have to be body positive and you have to you know have a voice but i also know like you know some girls don't actually really give a crap about yeah. representing or being body positive they just want to be pretty get paid and leave and you know even though they don't care they're still being like forced kind of yeah just oh yeah no no no. the mantle's that's been what given we to expect them. you know exactly um which is also unfair in a way because nobody have to you know have a voice and use it for the common good because that's a personal choice you know yeah uh but yeah for some reason it's been given that responsibility to anyone curvy that's in the public eye that you have to represent make us proud like kill it love yourself yeah and when like really a lot of us like don't necessarily quite love ourselves yet but we still have to rep for it and push for it because that's what society wants us to do yeah did you find yourself because i know i i did definitely in the beginning do you find yourself feeling like you're faking it sometimes trying to i have a big (laughs) imposter syndrome that has been following me for the past 15 years um it, but also I feel like there's a part of truth in it. Like I'm, I don't feel, I, I know I'm not fake and I know I'm not preaching something I'm not practicing. Yeah. However, I also do believe in fake it until you make it because Definitely. I was not as confident and not as sure of myself when I started, but I was still acting like it Yeah. just because mm-hmm. it, I was empowered by the power that I was given from other women by the voice that they were giving me and that empowerment made me push myself further and like maybe act or talk like I was really confident when really I wasn't. Yeah. But it actually made me feel better and helped me grow and become more confident. So, I, I mean, you know, I still feel sometimes that 
I'm not the most, you know, confident and self-loving person, even though, you know, my my person and my brand and everything I am standing for is based on that. Yeah. But it doesn't mean like I'm like that all the time. Like, you know, I crash and burn as well. And like totally. there's days that I don't want to be me, that I want to just quit being me and I don't want to love myself. So I just feel like, you know, like everybody is a real person and, you know, we're all going to have up and downs. But yeah. I feel like just staying true to what you represent and what you want to give out in this world. And in, in, in my case is self-love and self-acceptance yeah. and body positivity and inclusion. And so I just have to practice it all the time. But I have to preach it. But I also have to practice it for myself yeah. because it's not easy. No, it's not. It's a, I'm glad that you said fake it till you make it because that's kind of. I know that was like my personal journey. Mm -hmm. It was more like me going, okay, I know what they, what is expected of me. Yeah. And I know. And so it's like, I'm saying stuff that I wish someone had said to me, even exactly. though I don't believe it now, yeah. but like kind of by me uh -huh. forcing myself and trying to like help other people and tell them st stuff that I know will make them feel better and give them hope. That's how I slowly also was like, yeah, yeah, maybe you should listen to what you're saying. That's every now true. And you're talking a good game. That's maybe exactly you should. That's exactly what it is. You know what? That's exactly what it is. Because when you become public before you're actually ready, yeah, you just have to fake it till you make it, and you're gonna end up being exactly what you wanted to be in the first place. Yeah. Um, and I think it is important, like you said, to just like tell people what you wish somebody would have told you years later and it doesn't mean you're actually at this point and you actually you know live it and mean it and 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 everything but at least like you're putting the right energy out there and you know karma karma is karma it's gonna come back to you so that's kind of happened for me too like i was like preaching it really early and still not you know being like super good with myself but it's like acting it's like playing it a role you me. knew exactly what you were supposed to mm -hmm. do and then then you get in the character and then you actually become it. Yeah. Well, because it's so uncomfortable in the beginning, especially when you went from being unknown to being very known. Mm -hmm. It's it's very uncomfortable. And you kind of like you have to, you find your persona really quickly, which is not just helping your your brand and your career. And you're like, OK, this is the persona that's going to happen. But you're kind of like, let me pick a persona that I think I will be one day. And that exactly. way, when I get there, stick to it. I'm just good to go. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's how it feels as well. Nice. So you moved from Lyon to Miami. Yeah, I mean... Did you move specifically for modeling or no, did you... No, no, So I moved from Lyon to Paris. That was my Paris, first job. Okay. I was an editor and I was doing uh, kids and travel books. Okay. Which I quite liked. Uh, the only thing I didn't like is I was stuck in an office the whole day, which was no not like what I imagined for myself. I wanted to just travel the world and, you know, meet great people and live in the sun. So yeah. after a few months, I just told my boss, look, like, I'm unhappy. Um, I think I want to leave. And she was like, where are you going? I'm like, Miami? She was like, ew, why Miami? She was <laughs> like, go to New York. You're going to be anything. You should be in New York. I'm like, yeah, but I want palm trees and beach. <laughs> and so, you know, she ended up letting me leave. And uh, in three months, I kind of like quit my job, my apartment, my boyfriend, all of it, and just moved to Miami uh, with like 3,000 euro that I borrowed from my mom. And I was like, look, like whether I'm making it or whatever, I'm not, but I'm leaving. And she was just like crazy. She just like thought I was ha had lost it. Uh, but yeah, so I found this little restaurant job when I landed. 
uh, in a French restaurant. Great. And um, they hired me on the spot and I was there and I just, you know, found my own new community there, like plenty of friends and oh, kind of like a new family. That's something that I'm very envious of. I uh, feel like like European kids have that sense of adventure of going far away from mm. home that a lot of young Americans don't. Like I remember yeah. I, I, I almost went to school because I went to school for theater. And I was accepted uh, to a school in London and a school in Dublin. And I remember deciding not to go because of job. I was like, oh, I don't have a work visa. They won't let me work. I can't afford to do it. Now, in hindsight, I was like, I could have gotten a job at a bar. Yeah. Like, we all, <laughs> the, amount of, the amount of waitresses and bartenders I hired that weren't, you know, on a work visa. <laughs> I was like, I totally could have done that. Yeah. That would have been so easy. Yeah. But it's like, I feel like there's something... Maybe because you guys are also like Europe in general is so close. You're so close to different countries Mm -hmm. that you grow up knowing about different cultures and travel. And travel is easy, I would say. Like in Europe, like when you're even like young teenager, when you start being able to travel on your own, like I don't know, 14, 15 or travel with friends, like it's super easy. Like you take a train and you're in another country, a different language. So it makes you a little bit more unafraid. Um, and I would say with America, it's very different because like, even if you travel the same distance or more, you're still in your own country. Yeah. So, and there's no need of like speaking another language or, you know, talking to another culture. Yeah. No, the accent changes a little exactly, bit. Exactly. But, but that's, that's about it. it. I know. So, you know, it's easier for us, you know, cause Europe is the size of America, but yeah. we just have like plethora of different languages and culture within it. So um, I think that makes it easier, but also like a lot of like especially French people are not travelers. Really? Oh no. They're Interesting. like very like close. Like France is very close on itself. Like they're very safe. They don't like change. Um, they don't speak any other language. Most of them. Right. Um, well, that's a stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. So it's all right. In America, we definitely don't speak other languages. So exactly. It's fine. <laughs> but your language is a universal, so it's slightly different. Yeah. But yeah. So I mean, not not all French people are like that. But like my my dream growing up was to be Indiana Jones. Get um, out. That's yeah. what I told my high school guidance counselor I wanted to be. Well, that was my dream. I wanted oh, to be the lady too. Indiana Jones, uh, slash Xena the warrior. I loved Xena. I'm yeah, obsessed yeah. with her. She's so sexy. So yeah, that was kind of like my dream. And then I realized, well, that was not quite realistic. So I tried, you know, kind of just finding something that would let me travel and discover things and, you know, being like super free. And then when I moved to Miami, I had my first experience in modeling, like right after I moved. And um, I realized that maybe modeling would be my Indiana Jones, you know? Was it the same agency or did you switch agent or did you um, not have an agency? I, I moved without an agency, anything. I didn't yeah. plan on becoming a model right away there. Um, but um, I saw this thing on Facebook and American Apparel was looking for their thing they called the next big thing, which was a contest in which they would cast women to model in their bodysuit campaign. Okay. So I sent a picture when I saw it on Facebook. I sent them a picture on Facebook with my name and everything. And the next day I have someone from American Apparel calling me and they're like, hey, can you send me a selfie of yourself like right now? Like we really like your profile, but we need to see you like in real life. I always love the right now. I'm like, I was literally on my way to work at the restaurant and I had this old like not iPhone phone. Yeah. And so I took a selfie like this, like in the street (laughs) and then I sent it to them right away. And then they called me back 10 minutes later. I was on my shift. 
and I was like all right well we'd love you like you like you're selected so we need you to come to LA like next week and shoot this like bodysuit campaign and I'm like what okay like I was yeah. just like crazy like to me I'll just go for and it I didn't know American Apparel because I had just moved we don't have it in France at least at the time we didn't yeah and so for me you know not that much of a big deal but then I started telling my friends at work and my manager was like American Apparel it was like well, that's pretty big that's like America's brand like blah 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 I'm like oh okay cool yeah. and I was like that's cool so you know long short like short story long story short um I went shit the thing and then when the image came up um Doherty comes which used to be my agent in Miami saw the images and tried contacting me for like weeks I don't know why I didn't see it but anyway she tried contacting me uh to sign me uh-huh. and um you know finally I saw her messages and so I called her back and she explained to me you know hey do you want to be a model with us like this is what it entails like you had to sign a contract make a visa blah 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 and at this point like I was kind of illegal <laughs> so I was like <laughs> well you're gonna give me a way to stay legally and like yeah right yeah so, no exactly yeah. you know I was like I'm signing right now uh so I signed I went back to two friends she helped me do all my visa and paperwork and everything to get my things in order yeah yeah and then i came back three months later with my visa i'm officially a model uh like they put it on the visa like yeah, extraordinary like, ability like yeah, alien yeah. or whatever they call it <laughs> uh, like feeling fancy um you know and kind of like taking this to the next level i was like hey if i have this visa i can only work as a model in america so I might as well like kill it so I started really working with her to get more client. And it was really tough at the time because my freckly face was not something very, like, normal, I guess. So, like, it was really tough to get, like, commercial client. I was kind of the girl that was, gotcha. like, just getting, like, editorial or, like, fun feature, like, new girl in town type of thing. Yeah. But, like, it was really tough to book, like, catalogs and e-coms and things because my face at the time was very special. And it's funny because now, like, eight years eight years later, like, I'm the commercial girl. Like, no, I'm doing, yeah. like, the big commercial stuff. Say, it's gotten so diverse <laughs> at this point. Exactly. You having freckles is nothing. It's nothing. <laughs> but, like, eight years ago, it was a big thing. Like, yeah. I remember seven years ago, I signed with Muse in New York which yeah, is yeah. still my agency and um they were like yeah clam like you know it's gonna be tough you might do a lot of editorial work because like you're so special blah, blah, blah. and hey eight years ago I've not done any editorial work I'm only <laughs> exactly. doing commercial clients like it, yeah. and it's great you know but it's funny how things works because I was like the one one of a kind eight years ago and now I feel like modeling has opened so much that every kind of people that could have never been a model 10 years ago now are like you know considered not only oh, size wise totally. but like physical like Everything. you don't have to be perfect anymore so it opens like a brand new range of people which is great and now i'm kind of, of the normal girl well, that's the thing well, people are finally <laughs> seeing the beauty and in individuality mm-hmm. rather than because for so long every model looked the same, the same. like even even like the top top supermodels if you lined them all up and you were given like a name sheet you'd be like okay let me get this straight (laughs) i think this is this person and you'd be like because they are i mean for sure it was everything was especially about perfect feature it was about like with male models like i know on my side every single one was like perfect v-shape washboard abs with like the dark kind of swoopy hair yeah. and like they all looked exactly exactly the same yeah and now that'll be the first thing 
the consumer, like that'll be the first thing we call out when you do advertisements yeah. and everyone there looks exactly the same. We're kind of like, oh, this is weird now. Yeah, this is weird. That's the thing. It's finally getting weird. We're like, yeah, why does everyone just, look it's the just, same? It's, it's just actually really good because like, we've is. been trying to get here for a while now. I know. You and know? I feel like it's but, been adopted. So, yeah. I mean, to certain points. So like, okay, so you moved from, did you go back to Miami or did you go right back from Paris to New York? No, I went back to Miami. So okay. still my dream. I was still trying to m- be famous <laughs> and successful in Miami, which is not happening. So I spent two years there trying to make it. I don't think there's really. I mean, there there are definitely. It know, is Miami no, still has agencies. Yeah, and but still there's has no people, market for us. But like, the people who get New York is the shit. You all just the New York clients here. shoot in Miami, and we all go. Like I yeah, go to but Miami you have to all be winter. Cast in New York they exactly. can't just be in Miami and wait for clients to come no, exactly. so you know at some point um, I was in this place in my life that I was ready for the next step up and um, I met my you know partner that is now my partner and like he was like like you gotta do something like you can't just stay in Miami and hope for it to happen like clearly it's not he was like you gotta move to New York and I was like but it's cold and it's big and I don't want to be there <laughs> and you know my agency here Muse was like Clem you just gotta come up like make it happen and yeah. that. so you know at some point here I was again packing up everything living my house my friends my life and just, you know, coming to a city I've never really been to, like never lived in. I'm moving in an apartment I've never seen before with a roommate I've never met. And it was just like her whole thing. And I was kind of stressed out. And honestly, the weird thing about it is like the cold was what's stressing me out the most. Like That's just moving to somewhere there's not going to be sunny and warm was just stressing me out. because. But the summers here are so great. But so hot. They are so hot. <laughs> I know. I feel like that's the thing. I feel like no one really likes it here in the summer or the winter. No. But, so it's really spring and fall. And it's in so New short. Really and it's so short. It's like a month. It's like May. May, May June is nice. May, June, September, October. Yeah, that's end it. Of that's that's it. a nice time in New York yeah, City. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, if I could pick and choose, that's the only but time I'd be But those four months are so nice. Yeah, they're enjoyable. I know. They make I, up I've, for the rest of the year. I've been having major like seasonal depression. Mm. I am so done with yeah, winter. Don't tell me about and it. And I usually, I, I used to love winter, but this isn't like the fun winter. Like growing up in the Northeast, like we had winter and it snowed all the time, but that means all winter there was snow on the ground all the time and you'd go sledding and snowmobiling and have you know make snowmen and have snowball fights and it was so fun whereas in new york you don't get any of that no it's slush and ice it's just cold (laughs) dirty slush and it's gross and it's not fun to be out i know i remember when i moved here six years ago was in november so like right at the beginning of the cold and it was really tough. Like I was driving on my way. I was on a BQE driving to Sunset Park, which was my first apartment. And I was just like stressing out. It was all gray. People looked scary. Like it was cold. It was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? And, and in New York, everyone has a chip on their shoulder too. Yeah, so you don't have that warm, friendly no, attitude. at all. They're very much you know, like, get so out of my way. It was real tough, real tough. Like no elevator in the building, trash on the sidewalk, like things I've never seen before. So it was a really scary start. Um, But yeah, I mean, three months later, I was almost modeling full time. Like I could pay all my bills with it. So quick. So, you know, it was it was fast. Like I had to ask for advances from Muse for like three or four months to make sure I would survive. But like after that, it was rolling. Yeah. Advances are amazing. The only reason I got 
through and stayed modeling is because IMG luckily exactly. <laughs> advanced me a couple bucks. Because I mean, you have to. It's so inconsistent, especially at the start. Like you can't really plan ahead or do anything, you know. And life in New York is so expensive. It is. Like you have to cover your ass. Like there's a minimum that you need to actually survive. Like oh, and it's so much higher. Like yeah. If I if you made like a certain amount of money here. Like if I took the money I make now and lived Anywhere say else. where <laughs> my yeah, say where my in laws live in like the in middle Georgia. Yeah. I'd be a king. Oh and I'd yeah. Be great. Damn here right. I am barely middle class. Barely mi- barely <laughs> I'm making like, it. I'm like I'm like for the first time in my life my bills aren't behind. But yeah. I definitely like but That's I That's about uh, it. Yeah. I, I'm making just <laughs> enough of like I cover everything every month and I just finally got to the point where I don't have to look at the price on a menu. When I go to a restaurant, mm. <laughs> like yeah. that that's success that's to me. That's success to me is too. Is when I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm going to have this. Whatever. I'm, gonna, I'm just exactly. going to order what I want and I'm going to have dessert. Like that's that's success cuz I remember That's true. God, especially when I was bartending and when I was acting and cuz I was bartending while I was acting cuz I was working fairly decently as an actor. But fairly decent as an actor is still like four yeah, times a year. Struggling. Like <laughs> it's still not a lot. And I just remember going, yeah, you know, you'd go out to dinner with your friends and you would there was that panic where you'd look at the menu and be like, Okay, I'm gonna have the the chicken sandwich and everybody and you see everyone else ordering steaks and the fish and ordering appetizers and drinks and you're just like No. Oh, the bill is going to be weird because I'm just going to give 20 bucks and just be like, and have to be that guy that's like, yeah. now I'm like, whatever, let's split it. It's cool. Exactly. I also don't go out to dinner with <laughs> a thousand people anymore. <laughs> I think that's, I think that's also just the thing of getting older. Yeah, it's yeah. like, we're going to go out to dinner. There's going to be 12 of us. Oh, I'm like, no. no. Oh, hell no. Absolutely not. Yeah. I do not like crowds. Like I am not good in like a group of friends. Like I'm kind of awkward when I'm in a group, whereas like. When it's like just one on one or like a small group, then I feel like I can be myself. But when it's too much people to handle, I just can't. I'm not comfortable yeah. for some reason. Um, yeah, oh, me too. It's always I, been something with all me. these um, like fashion parties we have oh. to go to. If I cannot bring my wife, it is weird. And yeah. I always tell people because like if I can bring my wife, it's great. But she doesn't get to come to most of them because, you know, yeah. we don't get a lot of plus ones. Yeah. Because, like, I, I, I'm just enough to get invited to the party, yeah. not to be able to bring a guest. <laughs> and uh, I feel bad because I'll find the tough. one person I know and I'll just cling to them. And I'm yeah, like, this too. person probably wants to talk to other people. Fucking but hate me I right like. Now, but save me. <laughs> and then for me, it's like, because I'm so big, when that person does walk away and I just stand in the corner, I look like I'm security. I'm just <laughs> like, because I just like find a corner and just like look at the crowd. <laughs> Yeah, that's that, how I feel too. The whole time I'm just timing how long I have to be there until I can leave yeah. if I want to. I usually stay an hour. Like, that's always my minimum when I go to networking things and like things like that. That's like, I need to just make it an hour yeah. to get in everybody's sight, kind of see if it's anybody of interest that I could actually speak with and make something happen with. But if yeah. it's not, I'm here an hour, I'm gone. Then sometimes, you know, I find something interesting, someone that I really like or want to talk to, then I stay a little more. But an hour is my only goal. I'm like, just yeah. have to make it one hour. For me, it's um, I need to get in there. I need to find whoever, like, the especially for fashion week i'm just like if there's a step and repeat i'll leave in 15 minutes because i'm like I'm, my goal is to go in there have the people who invited me see me there and say hi to them mm-hmm. have the one photo taken of myself and then i'm like all right Bye. see you later <laughs> i'm getting out of here because it's 
I'm just not a, I feel like, and I noticed that I feel like a lot of models, even though we have such an extroverted career mm-hmm. where we're in the camera and out there all the yeah. time, I feel like so many models are introverts oh, at yeah. heart. Yeah. And I just feel like when, when it's also part of your job to be in the public eye, you also want to be private as much as you can. Absolutely. Just because like you have to have balance. Like it's really tough to be like in the public eye and an extrovert and talking to everybody all the time and being yeah. out all the time. And also I think like we travel so much that we also very much cherish like alone time, family time, like yeah. chill time. Like that's something I didn't used to love as much before I was modeling full time. Like I used to love uh, being out a lot, being with friends, with, you know, always doing things with people. And yeah. I hated being alone. That was my big scare. I didn't know what to do of myself yeah. alone. And since I'm a model and get to, you know, travel the world, go to a restaurant on my own, go to things on my own. I actually love it. And I just love my alone time. Like it's insane. become the opposite. No, I do the same. I I feel really bad when I travel for work. I like don't want to hang out with the casting crew after the day oh, of job because they're always like, "So what are you doing for dinner?" And I'm always like, oh, "I don't know." And it's just because it, it is. It's like our own little meditative time yeah. where I'm like, "No, I'm gonna walk into this city that I don't know. I'm gonna get food by myself, and I'm just gonna wa- like my big thing is walking. Mm-hmm. I will walk around a city I haven't been to." for just hours yeah. I'll just put in I get an audiobook I put it in my headphones and I just listen to a book and just walk around the city and that's all yeah. I want to do I love that too I love just like I I usually make sure that I have some kind of like map service yeah uh, or Uber service so then if I'm somewhere I don't like I can just get the hell out totally. but um I just love to get lost and you know try like any cafes or things like I love trying like local foods or like I will walk in like a food store I love yeah. food stores when I'm abroad and just see what their brands look like like what their product is first time I and went I to that. Europe I came home with souvenirs for my family and all it was was different flavors of potato chips <laughs> that we don't have any I was amazed I came home and you know of course like you know you're going through customs and they ask you they're like do you have any food or anything and I was just like yeah I have 20 bags of potato chips <laughs> and they don't even open your bag they're just like all oh, right no. weirdo potato <laughs> chips is fine <laughs> exactly they're like no unpasteurized cheese no. you're like no just potato chips they're like cool all right weirdo oh my god that's but like... it's true potato chips in Europe or potato chips and candy that's what I go when I go to oh, Europe yeah, I just buy the snack good. food I love and like it's so because it is it's different and like i love going into yeah just the grocery store i'm like every time i go to a city i like get into that fantasy of like if i lived if I here, lived here I what would this too. would this be my yes. grocery store is this i love I you know what i love doing also when i travel is like i would go on like a local trulia or like zillow and look at prices of apartments Same. and rents and like I just like okay. Let's say I really like here. What if, what if I move here? How much I would spend an apartment? Like what's what, what would be my life like? Yeah, it drives Laura that. nuts because I'll always tell her and I'm just like you know I'll call her and she'll be like so how's it going? I'm like it's pretty good. We could probably live here if we <laughs> yes, needed to. And that's always what I say. I'm just like if we had to, we could figure it out. It's not too bad. Or I told her yeah either we could live here or I'm like you know I don't think I'd want to live here yeah. very much if I didn't that have to. That is so to. funny. I do that all the time. Literally, I'm picturing myself living everywhere and just because i'm like i'm looking for a place to just settle and i think i'm just so unsure that everywhere i go i'm trying to see if i could live here yeah no and it's complicated i also think that's the thing with um new yorkers in general is at least for me 
like living in New York, I'm like, I would stay here forever if I could afford it. But but rent has just gone up and up and up and up yeah. and up. So I feel like as a New Yorker, I always have like kind of the Escape eye somewhere plan. just in case. <laughs> and you're like, all right, if I do get squeezed out, where yeah. am I going to end up? See, me is like, I want to get the hell out soon. And I've been wanting to leave since I arrived. Um, so I'm looking for the closest palm tree and beach place that I can get where I can still work, which would be Miami. I was going to say, I think that is, well, Miami. it is Miami, but the thing That's is only like a two hour flight. Exactly. But the problem being a New Yorker is you get this really, um, unsettling and unhealthy relationship with the New York city because you really want to leave all the time because people suck, weather suck, everything suck. But at the same time, every time you leave, you want to come back You're because itching. there's no place like here. No, exactly. It, it, the energy is special and is. the amount of work you get, like the amount of possibilities just feel infinite when you're here. That's and exactly what it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's infinite. Tough. I, when I'm in the city, I have this overwhelming feeling, even if I'm doing nothing, mm-hmm. it's kind of like this feeling that every day you're like, anything can happen. Yeah. I could do anything I want. All options are always on the table in New York. Yeah, that's true. And it's kind of like keeps you in check because even when things aren't going your way, you kind of, you start to look for who to blame. And then after a little while, you realize it's yourself (laughs) and you're just like, that's the only reason it's not working out is because I'm not doing the right things because all of the building blocks are here. Mm -hmm. They're like hidden in their heart. Like this, I always equate living to New York, like riding a bull like that really doesn't want you to be riding it (laughs) like because it's like it's great but this city does everything it can to get you to leave yeah and then once you do leave all you think about is going back there and trying it again that's why i think it's so unhealthy because it's kind of like an addictive relationship you know it's like you really want to leave, but it keeps pulling you back. And like when you're here, you're not happy. But oh when you're God. gone, you, you really want to come back. It's like uh, New York is your abusive partner. Seriously, <laughs> it is. It's, it's it true. Is. Actually, it's a but good But because it, it holds you by the balls because of the money. Yeah. Money is greater than anywhere else. The no, work. exactly. You can and get And the energy. It's just something special. Like I love Miami more than any city in the world, but the energy is nothing like here. Yeah. So it's like I'm happy there, but I'm also missing like, like I'm not productive. I'm not doing anything. Same. I then. That's I what feel I, guilty. That's the feeling. I, that's exactly what I say. Anytime I'm like, I could live here. I could move here. I always think of like, all right, so you get it. You can afford it. You move here. What do you do? Then what do you do? <laughs> exactly. Like, I was like, what do I do? Do I just sit here from now on? <laughs> Is this this where I am? Whereas in New York, I feel like every day you have this urge, like you got to get going. Oh, you got to do something. Whereas like, for example, like uh, two of our best friends moved to Portland, Oregon. And I love Portland. It's an amazing city. So many good bars and restaurants. Every, all the people are cool. It's really close to a lot of outdoorsy things. Like I'm a big camper, hiker, like kayaker. I love that stuff. But I think I was like, oh, I could definitely live here. And then in the back of your head, it was like, and what would you do? Would you just sit here? And then would you just go to bars and go hiking? And you're like, that's not a life, Zach. That's just leisure. And I'm like, oh, you're right. I can't. Oh, it's tough. It's just like I, there's plenty of places I could live in if I didn't have to work. Yeah, but if yeah. you could work into place, then I just don't see how I can survive anywhere else than here. Yeah, it's just it's too much. It's, uh, it's too much opportunity right here. <laughs> it's just like this kind of like permanent FOMO when you're not here. Like, oh, if I was here, I would probably got that job. I, if I was here, I'd probably be doing this. If I was here, I would make that much more money. Like, yeah. and then oh, it's tough. It's very. I still want to leave. I know. I don't know. It's it. Well, and, and as soon as you leave, you're gonna want to come back. That's the way New York. Well, works. ideally, my ideal situation right now would be to keep a place here, small, 
not too too expensive and get a place as well in miami so i can keep back and forth you are talking the new york dream that's my dream i feel like i have the similar one because i feel like all new york dreams come with like a weekend or a summer house somewhere else because it's the same because me and laura are talking the same thing we're like all right we're gonna keep a place in the city forever rent like not own we'll just rent a place in the city forever whether it's the place we have now or you know find a smaller apartment and just keep that in the city and then we're either going to get like a cabin in the Catskills or a condo in like off the coast in Georgia or something like that and then that's where that's where our house will be and mm-hmm. we'll just travel I think that's, that's exactly what I want to do yeah that's exactly what I want to do because I feel like the only way to resolve this like weird relationship is to keep coming back but not stay too long yeah just have an escape so i think having two places is the dream now next step is find out how to afford it so that's like what i'm trying to figure out right now well that's why listen the places (laughs) i've been looking at like the catskill cabins i've been looking at like barely have running water and they're like (laughs) trying to describe it to laura i'm like we could live there we'll be in the woods you know there's there's cabins on sale for only like eighty thousand dollars and i'm just like we could afford that the mortgage would be like 30 bucks a month it'll be great (laughs) but it's then you know i know i'm the only one that wants to like live in the woods yeah (laughs) not her at all Uh, so you've been in the city now for seven, seven years. years. I know. And you're dealing with the abusive relationship, but yeah. you've been killing it. So yeah. not only been modeling like crazy, but you've branched out. You've used your international businesswoman <laughs> yeah. uh, degree to branch Finally out into so many different things. So tell me about um, All Woman Project and how that came to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so All Woman Project now is three years old. Uh, it started as just a solo campaign. We just wanted to put all of our friends together that were plus size, dread size, all colors and shapes. And we're like, you know, it's missing diversity and inclusivity in fashion. And for some reason, fashion people think that diversity is cheap and looks like shit. So we decided to put this beautiful campaign together and we premiered with Vogue um, to prove them wrong and, you know, tell them that diversity do look good. It do look high hand and it's beautiful and you guys should take notice. So that's kind of how it started. Yeah. And um we're on our seventh campaign that just came out two days ago. I was going to say, for the, for the International uh, Women's Yeah, Day. so it's number seven. So we tried to do about two a year, uh, two campaigns. So the goal is to focus diversity, inclusivity, and empower women, really, with those images. Um, so that one thing of what we do. And then um, we turned into a charity about two and a half years ago. Yeah. Uh, and the goal of what we're doing on the charity side of things is we're opening a support group of women all over the world. We have 10 groups right now of women that meet monthly, do events and just get together and tell their story to each other, support each other um, in order to just empower each other and keep them going. That's one thing that we're doing. We also do monthly event series in New York, uh, but we're trying to branch out right now in the UK and in different cities in America. Uh, we just had our f- event at the Hoxton and Williamsburg for Women's Day two days ago, and we have our next one uh, in April. It's every month, so like every month yeah. we have a great events, free for all public events, where we just you know open uh, the doors of things that you know most people don't get to attend, like. We have great panelists, amazing workshop leaders, um, and everything is centered around empowerment and self-acceptance and self-love. And so the goal is to open our, the door of those things that you know most 
average girls and women don't really get to attend mm-hmm. like events and things like that and so we you know we just give them a chance to come and be empowered and get to share like special moments uh together so that's part of what we do we also go to schools like middle school high school colleges uh, in order to do workshop and talk about what is body positivity what is self-love inclusivity uh what representation means and why it's important um so yeah we do a whole bunch of things yeah. like that it's something that's so needed that you don't like really notice like no, yeah like you know we grew up like needing if someone told me about just even the concept of inclusion in the entertainment and modeling industry. I'd be like, what? That doesn't matter. No, no, no. We wouldn't get to do that Nobody because cares. only these people look like <laughs> that. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, it, it's true. I'm, I'm, it's very uplifting to think that the next generation won't have those same burdens. I mean, we're working to make sure they yeah. don't have those same burdens mm-hmm. through groups like exactly. All Women Project. That's what we want to do. Like, I want to make sure, you know, the girls that grow up now won't have to deal with everything that we've had to deal with. And I, I mean, can they're see already leaps and bounds ahead. I can by the see fact improvement. Yeah. Like, just like we're like Generation Z, like generation after us. Yeah. They're so empowered, so strong. They're so their sisterhood so high. Like they're just they're just better human being. They're well, that's because like they grew up getting to open magazines and look at people like yeah. you and yeah. actually see themselves in a magazine, which that's wasn't a I thing think, we got to do. When exactly. We were I think that's part of it. And they also grew up with like women leaders and, you know, feminists around them. They grew up, you know, feminist wasn't a dirty word for them growing exactly. up. Exactly. Because for us, it was like, oh, you're feminist. Blah. I know. It was a weird. Do you have hair? It was like a militant, hairy lady <laughs> thing. Oh, where, yeah. It wasn't like, it, was, it wasn't a nice word no. where now it's like. <laughs> and now it's like, it's almost too much. Now it's almost trendy. Um, and it's almost like, oh, if you're not a feminist, like, what are you? Yeah. But I mean, I think it should be a choice like everything else. Like nobody has to be a feminist. You know what I mean? And like. Also, like the definition of feminist has evolved so much. Like yeah. when I was a feminist, uh, when I was a kid, being a feminist meant to not like men. Yeah. It, well, it had right? to like, Which, at least, I mean, and that might not even be what it meant, but that was like definitely the connotation. Yeah, the connotation. Us as kids mm-hmm. were like, oh, feminists, they hate men. Exactly. Like, oh, she's a, she's a lesbian. Like she hates men. Like she just, she just wants all women in the world, blah, blah, blah. Like, and I feel like, so the definition of what it actually is kind of evolved. And now those young women growing up are empowered by the, the idea of being a feminist, but yeah. they're not only like woman focused they're they want to empower everybody and i think the big change that happened is the gender mixity it is already like happening now mm-hmm. like the fact that all the different pronouns of like what you identify as which is so new i mean it's so weird for our generation i feel like because when i grew up it was he or she and it was yeah. it and i feel like now it's evolving so like this generation is also open to all the different option of like self representation totally. and, and self um description of what yeah. you want to belong and it's not because you're born away that you have to be like that your whole life and so i think they're super open and i think that's great and it's definitely comes from like the work that our generation and the generation before us you know have been laying down yeah. and i think that's great so we're, we're starting to see the change of like this whole like world just getting better. It's so cool to like see. I mean, again, and I not that I think you and I, even if we did do anything personally, but it's like seeing younger people take things that were radical ideas when we were younger, just be 
a standard way of thinking yeah. now is so it's, nice. it's such a relief it's such like okay me getting you know us getting made fun of our whole lives for looking a certain mm-hmm. way the fact that that's not as common anymore which i'm sure it still is in a lot of parts yeah. of the, and it still is it's still very common but now it's not just oh kids will be kids it's like oh that other kid's being a real dick and yeah. <laughs> we're all just yeah, gonna I think we're, we're well all just putting, gonna call them out putting words it. on it because like when you say like kids will be kids like that's what i was told my whole life yeah. But now I feel like, no, like this is bullying. No, this is harassment. No, this is not okay. And I feel like we're finally putting words on things because I grew up all my life thinking this is just how the world will be for me. Yeah. Because I was different. Yeah. This is how my life would be. I would be treated like that because people will be people and kids will be kids. And so I think if I would know like that wasn't okay, that it was not normal, maybe I would have felt a different way. Now it's not like, like I feel like my generation it was very much like, oh, boys will be boys. And now hopefully the next generation is boys will be held responsible exactly. for their actions. <laughs> and it's be, just like, yeah. I think we're getting there. Let's do that. We're and just like, no, yeah. it's because it's not an excuse. It's not boys will be boys. Oh, they're just doing it. It's like, no. It's also, I feel like a lot more, um, a, a lot more stress is being put on parenting where it's mm-hmm. like, no, this is your job to tell them it's right or wrong. I know yeah. they will, there will be bullies in there, and your job is to help them work through that, not to enable them and just be like, ah, it happens. Get over it. Suck it up, kid. And it's like, yeah. I don't know, just little, little baby steps, but these baby steps happen. I think it's so important for changes like this to happen at the younger level, because mm-hmm. if it happens so young, they grow up without those burdens or with less of those burdens Mm -hmm. at least. Yeah. I'm totally like, it's so important to go, um, younger and like even with AWP, like we're trying to go in elementary school starting September because we noticed that, um, self like dysmorphia and like self hatred and things like that start between six and eight years old in girls. And so I feel like it's really important to get there before it actually becomes something like to make sure those ideas don't actually get in their head. Um, it's like in, it's really um, tough in straight curve. Yeah. Like that, that you were in. It's, it's one of those things where I didn't know those statistics that by the, by sixth grade, 75% of girls have been on a diet. Like that's in, that's so heartbreaking to read. Like, Mm -hmm. and it's so heartbreaking to know these statistics. And it's like, and it's, I mean, it's, it's definitely way more prevalent with women, but I was like, I was, I think I did my first diet when I was like 12. Yeah. I was 10 on my first one, eight to 10. And it's just it's tough. crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy that we had kids doing that. Yeah. <laughs> and that and it's it was crazy so that normal. it was accepted and we were allowed to do it. Like, and it's for me, like, I'm not I even went to Weight Watchers meeting me with too. my mother at 14. And oh I was my God. just like, how am I allowed here? Like, I was there since I was 10. First, I was just there with her. And then I started to do it with her. So I was already going on the scale. Like, by age 10 or 11, I, know. I was going on the scale, talking with all those women. Counting your Counting points. my calories and Jeez. points. Which is one of the reasons that, and, and, and that's the problem with dieting that early of an age. Also, you develop an extremely unhealthy relationship with food. Yeah. Like, I, that's one of the reasons I was such an emotional eater yeah. is because I could, it was a bad thing. I yeah, couldn't have it. And, like, from a very early age, I was like, I was being bad for mm-hmm. eating this food. And it was, like, a form of c- both, like, self-comfort and self-punishment yeah. at the same time. Exactly. And it's just because you, when you grow up, when you're counting calories at 10, 12 years old, you're never going to have a healthy relationship with food. 
Because right away you're told that food is somehow inherently either bad for you or you don't deserve it or you don't yeah. deserve it. It can't just thing. be food. It can't it's just like be food. associated with so many other things that mentally it's impossible to consider it just food yeah. moving forward. Like it's going to have like whether a good or a bad emotional relationship moving on. So it's it's been tough for me probably for the same reason as well. Like it's always yeah. been super emotional. Even now, like I definitely have like still. emotional issues still with food. Mm-hmm. Um, if I have a bad day, I'm I'm eating horrible things for yeah. me. I'm binging like crazy. Yeah. And I am I'm, I'm still like I'm so much better now with dealing with it, and it doesn't happen as much. But like sometimes I just can't help it, and I know what I'm doing to myself, and I know I shouldn't be doing it, and I know a hard you know it is for me but i just can't help it i have those like reflexes from where i was a teenager yeah and it just keeps coming back and you know it's it's gonna be here forever yeah you've conditioned yourself yeah and that's the thing is, is it's it's all 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 you can do now is recognize those conditionings mm-hmm. and go zach you're going into a spiral you're doing this because you've had a tough day because you've yeah. done this and I feel like people have different vices. Like I have, you know, there's people very close to me who have the same problem with alcohol. Mm-hmm. They cannot stop. They binge. They go nuts. Whereas for me, it's like I can have a couple drinks of alcohol, but as soon as I start to feel a little wonky, yeah. I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't feel too. good. <laughs> but I'll eat until I throw up if I'm yeah. in a terrible mood. I'll, yeah. I'll like won't be able to breathe that I've eaten so much. But it's 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 that form of self comfort slash self punishing. Yeah, self punishment. That is like like for me, like I would say until about six years ago, all I would know is to eat until it hurts. Yeah. That's all I would know. Like to me, like being satisfied meant my belly hurts. I can't eat no more. Yeah. And so even though I've been to like seeing like psychologists and dietitianists, uh dietitian and whatever you call it and it's just like they told me how it's supposed to feel, but like mentally, I just couldn't feel satisfied until it hurt. Yeah. So I've been like, you know, stuffing myself literally for years. Because you think you're like, I have. I, I had have to extra feel full. Yeah. I just wanted to feel full, but at the same time, I wanted to feel pain from eating. It was very yeah. unhealthy, weird thing. But now, like, I, I'm finally able to like understand when I'm actually satisfied or when I ate too much. Yeah. Which for years used to be the same thing for me. Yeah. But um, but it's tough, and it feels like it's sometimes it's on the daily. I have to like remember myself that how much I should be eating and check my stomach. Yeah. Like if I don't take my time, I don't have time to check my stomach. And hey, stomach, are you actually full, or do you just want to eat more because, you know, you just like it? Because you're having a good um, time. Exactly. exactly. So yeah. I think like just being conscious of that. It doesn't mean like you know controlling yourself all the time, but just knowing like just being conscious of it helps a lot. And then choosing to eat more yeah. if that's what you want to do, but know that it's a choice and that you're not you're not just doing now it because it's like I try to problem. do it because it's it's Christmas and we're and we're celebrating and I'm gonna have that dessert and I'm getting no, yeah. it is it, it's it's very much. I remember my goal at for when when I really started like my own body positivity journey was to eat without thinking about it mm-hmm. without thinking either that i can't have it it's, it's not this is the wrong thing to eat it's not enough or the opposite of like because i would also get like this panicky like do i have enough is this enough food mm-hmm. is, this isn't enough oh that was God. the thing like if i go to a restaurant or like i could never have just a sandwich 
Just I one needed thing. a bag of chips or fries or something. I needed a side with it yeah. because that's not a full meal. I don't yeah. have the side. But it's like, no, this sandwich is more this than fine. enough for me. <laughs> but but you do. You get like almost. I think that's the thing about emotional eaters is you get like panicky. Oh, yeah. That you're like, no, I don't. This isn't Super enough. Super panicky. Because then I'm going to be. And there's no. The worst part is that it's just emotional because I'm like, there's no consequence to me. I'm not going to have a consequence from not eating until I get to the point where I haven't had proper nutrition for days it's not gonna be because i didn't get a side of french fries or a side of potato chips isn't me starving to death but in you kind of feel like it's emotional i agree like i i went through this phase that i needed to have a little bit of everything um like i needed to have like greens and then the main dish and then fries and then like cheese but like so i ended up ordering like half the menu even though i was on my own thinking that i would just get a bite of everything because that's what i wanted but then i ended up eating everything on everything same that that goes to my not liking overeating everything i overate today Mm -hmm. because i ordered i did not want to make lunch i didn't want to cook we had just cleaned the kitchen and i didn't feel like <laughs> cooking i had food in the house but i'm like yeah. i'll just order something yeah. and i was trying to be good because i've been trying to eat like less carbs and stuff so i was like oh i'm just gonna get there's a rotisserie chicken place down the street i'll get half a chicken which is which is already big but in my head i was like i'll get the half a chicken oh but i need a side with this let me get like a side of beans and then you know what their ribs were pretty good <laughs> i can get a small order of ribs and then the worst part is like delivery by yourself in New York. The delivery minimums feed into my overeating yeah. like mentality because I'm just like, well, I can't. I, I got to order more. I got to make the delivery minimum and then I'll just eat way too much. Yeah. Yeah. Or and delivery in New York is a big problem. I actually remember <laughs> I the first time yeah. I ordered delivery when I was in just moved in Brooklyn, my first week in Brooklyn. And I was really broke at the time. So I had never got delivery in Miami or in New York ever before because it was too much money. And so my friend told me, oh, this Chinese place down the street is super cheap, super good. Just just get something like fried rice or whatever. And I was just so excited because in every American movie, um, you know, people eat out of those like Chinese boxes. Oh, the takeout. Yeah, and yeah. we don't have it in France. So like I've never had it before. <laughs> and so I ordered and she, I was like, does it come in a box? She was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, my so I ordered fried rice and it came in this big box with like a little handle, basic, yep, yep. right? But the for Chinese me, it was like, thing. I cried. Oh, it's I literally so exciting. Because <laughs> I was like so excited because I've seen it in all the friends and like the movies. And I was just like, oh my God. And then I thought it was the coolest thing. Like the guy was here in 20 minutes and my food was warm and he was in a little basket. I was like, that's fucking amazing. But then I thought it would be just like a, you know, a once a month type of thing. Yeah, it was clearly not a new yorker quite yet but now it's more like a, almost a daily thing which i hate no. and i'm a huge cook like i love same, cooking and i'm same. so good at it but there's there's three the meals time. a day <laughs> that's my exactly thing. the like, time there's, there's three meals a day even if i cook two of my meals a day i'll order one of yeah. them and i'm just like this yeah. is silly yeah, exactly it's the time and it's also like especially like living in queens we have such a diverse oh, I love group here and like we have such a diverse range of restaurants yes. and menu options. A lot so of the times for try. me, it's that I'm also craving things that I don't know how to make. Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I mean, I'm sure I could, I'm sure I could make Indian or Thai food, but like 
I can't really. Not so, like that. No, exactly. I can't make it like <laughs> they make it. I'll make something that tastes yeah. sort of like it. But I was just like, I was like, oh, I can't cook that. So I guess I'm I ordering. I love Indian. I'm probably going to have Queen's ramen tonight. Indian. Really? Yeah. Is it a good spot by you? There's, yeah, Tamashi Ramen on Broadway Ooh, is really, really good. Oh, yes. We have a good spot as well here, but I feel like Delivery Ramen is so-so. It's, 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 it depends. It's not as good it's as not, real life. But it does depend. But I remember the first time I ordered ramen and I thought it was, did you get, in France, did you have the little ramen noodle packets? Yes. Like free, that was ramen noodle growing yeah, up. Yeah, it was yeah. like this little cup of noodles. Yeah, me too. Until thing. I moved here, that's what it was. And then I saw like real ramen that had like, pork and an egg and I like love the all this. you're just like what is this stuff oh my god i love the toppings yeah i'll probably have that tonight just oh, because it's nice and that's the problem with uh having this many menu items yeah so many choices that's also the thing that'll keep you in new york is the fact that you go anywhere else and you're just like i cannot food sucks uh, yeah <laughs> oh i can't have all like there's so many no. things i cannot eat I know, I know. Even in Miami, like the food scene is pretty solid. But when it comes to delivery, it's poor options. Like when you go out, there's so many great options. Yeah. But for delivery, it's not as much. Um, but here, I don't feel like anyone amazing. delivers the way New York delivers no. food. New York, because New York is such part of the life. It's like part of the lifestyle. Everybody yeah. eats delivery ev- almost every day. My upstairs neighbors, I mean, my, the. <laughs> We don't have labels on our doorbells. I got to put one there. But so they're always ringing my doorbell, my mistake for the delivery guy to for the, you know, the apartment upstairs. And but they, you know, there's three of them and they each get delivery from different people every day. So oh I God. swear to God, I have a delivery guy <laughs> at my apartment 15 times a day. Oh, my like, God. It is crazy. Yeah. It's just nuts. It is insane. And like, especially like back in France, the deliver- food delivery is absolutely not a thing. Yeah. Still now, unless you live in center Paris, maybe, but even then. Yeah. Um, like living in any regular city or in the suburb, it just never happens that you eat delivery. You either go to a place to eat or maybe you pick up a pizza, but that's it. Or you eat at home. There's no like delivery thing. And so when I tell my parents, like, you know, what a lifestyle look like, you know, what you're doing today. Oh, I got delivery. Like, they're just like. what like you always eat out like don't you ever cook like and like why are these people coming to your house you don't even know them like for them it's still like a really awkward thing to get delivery like on a daily basis i mean it is it is weird to think that every that (laughs) not every day but at least five times a week a stranger hands me food at my door and i go thanks especially now because also it's i feel like it also changed with like seamless and grubhub because now it used to be you had to call them Mm -hmm. you had to place an order and you had to have the right amount of cash Cash. on you and then you guys did like this weird exchange now the amount of times that my delivery guy literally never opens his mouth. They don't say where they just ring the doorbell. I open the door and they just hand me my food and just walk away. Exactly. Just because everything's paid for. Everything's yeah, it's like there's no reason for. And oh, I my my social anxiety makes me very happy that I can order online now instead of talk on the phone. Sometimes with the person. when it doesn't work and it, or it's a place that only take order on the phone, like oh. fancy. I just won't do it. I'd rather yeah. not call. I'd no. rather get something else. No, exactly. <laughs> if it doesn't like, come on Uber, I'm not taking it. <laughs> no, exactly. You're like, I guess I'm doing, uh, never mind then. <laughs> Seriously, I'm the same. I'm like such socially awkward. Like, I just hate talking on the phone as well. I know, but that's, that's what I'm saying. That's the living your career <laughs> out in the public yeah. eye. We go right back to the like, opposite. I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone no, if I don't have to. I love that. Yeah, just loving like so like in my bubble. Yeah, I love it. 
<laughs> I love it too. Mm. Uh, Clem, this has been so much fun. Yes, thank you. This has been, thank you so much for doing this. We've been trying to do this forever. forever. I'm glad it finally worked out. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I think I asked you in Miami like two yes. years ago. I was like, let's let's do it. And you're like, yeah, yeah, let's It was go. like you didn't even have any podcast up at the time. No, I was starting first one. asked me. Yeah, no. That's I, so yeah, funny. That's the thing. I was thinking of starting a podcast. Uh, and now so it's much like, we travel, I guess. You know. Now it's like 60 episodes in. Yeah, it's great. Congrats. It's crazy. I saved the best for number 60. Yeah? I think you're 60. You're close to it. Oh, yeah? I don't know. what. Okay, <laughs> let me know. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, this was a blast. I yes, can't wait thanks. to thanks keep going. Um, everyone, please check uh, Clem out on the Instagrams. Uh, bonjour Clem. Is there an underscore? Or is it just bonjour no, Clem? Bonjour Clem. Bonjour Clem. She says it way better than me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, we'll talk to you soon. We got to right. do this again. This was so much fun. Yeah, that was so much fun. Thank you. Right. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye. What an amazing person. Ah, oh, God. She inspires me so much. I know she'll inspire you. So go follow her on the social medias and follow us on social media at Zach Miko, Z A C H M I K O, on the Twitters and the Instagram, at Facebook.com slash Big Things Pod and at Big Things Also, go to my social medias. Guys, now we have a new thing where every morning of the rest of my life, you can have morning coffee with me, everybody. You sit down, go to my Instagram every single morning on IGTV. You're going to see me drinking a cup of coffee, talking about some thoughts for the day. You guys can have your coffee or your teas or your hot water with lemons or your uh, apple cider vinegar or, or your fruit juices or, or your glass of, of nice, cool, refreshing water, whatever you guys like. Just, you know, we'll have a good time. I'll try to answer some questions that people send me on the DMs. I'll tell you all about my day. We can talk about what I imagine your day is going to be. We don't know. It's going to be fun. I don't know what it's going to be, but I'm doing it every day for the rest of my life. So please tune in. I love you all so much. And until next week, remember to go out in the world and do big things. <laughs>